For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Money. Today, we are going to talk about, well, the things that we usually talk about, which is money and from millennials. And specifically, we're somewhat concerned about the progression of the Delta variant because we have clearly hit an inflection point in the progression of the virus uh, and the trajectory of it. And and so we're curious about how things like Tattooed Chef are going to move in the next uh, you know few months here, uh, whether that bankruptcy is, is really coming as we have been thinking it has been. So uh, I'm going to open up the floor here, uh, not to Jeremy because he's not here anymore. So, so Graham, how have you been feeling about this? Yeah, it's been really interesting to see here in Las Vegas, which has for the most part, been fairly open. Hasn't really been impacted that much. Uh, but it's interesting to see that now they've just renewed the mask mandates. So really, anywhere you go now, you have to bring a mask with you, which is something that I got so used to not wearing a mask that uh, we actually we walked into a uh, into a store the other day, didn't have a mask on, just completely <laughs> forgot. So it's, it's interesting to see how they're handling it. It looks as though, as of right now, probably just going to be mask mandates, but we're definitely heading in that direction of uh, just becoming a little bit more careful. Do you guys watch Loki at all? <laughs> no? no? What? Where's the culture at? No, they have, uh, they, they have something called the variants. So anytime people talk about the Delta variant, I think of like, anyway, people in the chat room should know if you guys watch the show. It's such a good show. But I just got back from Maui. We were there for five days, which was super cool. It was nice to unplug from everything. We did a bunch of stuff. We went to Road to Hana. If you guys have ever done that, that was really cool. Uh, saw Waimoku Falls and uh, Snorkel. It was really, really fun. But I was really disappointed that we had to wear masks everywhere we went. Mm. That was very unfortunate. Um, otherwise, it was, yeah, it was beautiful. How do you guys think the market is going to perform now? Do you guys think we're going to have a repetition of everything that's happened in 2019? Or are things going to play out a little bit differently this time? Well, Jeremy? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think we should start at, at the top of, of, you know, I think a lot of people have taken their eye off the numbers. So I was running the guys through some of these numbers before we started here. So new cases yesterday, 135,000. The last time we've been that high in the United States for cases was February 2nd. So, um, you know, and that was kind of getting, uh, you know, we were kind of coming down off the top. I think the top was 200 to 300,000 cases a day. So we're getting way up there now. They're talking about the, 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 the uh, deltas at least twice as contagious. And uh, you also got to take into account, we're taking this way less serious than we were last year at this time, right? So, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, uh, you know, tough things kind of all going around there. And uh, hospitalizations way up. ICU numbers way up uh, already here and a lot of things about uh, hospitals kind of, you know, getting full, uh, especially the ICUs and things like that. So these are things to keep in mind. I don't know. You know, um, I just think, you know, no one's really paying attention to the numbers as much. And I, I you know, uh, it might be something media related. Oh, I see that coffee back there. Kevin. Oh, dude, I have, the, I have the biggest smile on my face right now. You have no idea. <laughs> Yeah. Thank, you so, thank you so much, man. Sorry, Jerry. No, I, I, I'm brewing my first batch of bankroll coffee here, and we're going to try it live. Second. 
Wait a second. Have you have not you've not had it yet? Uh-uh. Wow. Okay, you gotta be honest. You can't just like drink it and then spit it out. Be like, ah, this is terrible. <laughs> not my bank <laughs> cup. There you right. go. Whoa, that's nice. Uh, Kevin, you got I, man, that's a setup you got there. You got the coffee maker right in the studio. Oh my goodness. That that's <laughs> you live in life, man. Now I want some. <laughs> I still haven't tried any. Graham, where's, where's wow. yeah. okay? Come on over. Come on over. I'll give you some coffee. Okay. Right. I would love some. So, anyways, back to a more depressing story about the Rony Rona <laughs> and the numbers skyrocketing. And uh, anyway, so that, that's what's going on. And so, uh, you know, no one's really talking about any potential shutdowns and things like that yet. Um, but I can tell you, if these numbers continue for another week, oh boy, it's going to be everywhere. Um, and, you know, yeah, I don't even want to make it political. But anyways, let's just go on. Okay. No, I, I want to know about this. Wait, wait, wait. What, what are the numbers? Like, I mean, I know you just went through the numbers, but like, it, do you think that they're just going to keep compounding exponentially? Kind of like what we saw when, you know, like that, that second wave and it just kept going and going. It was like, oh my gosh, and went to like 200,000 and 300,000. It was just like insane. Do you think we could see something like that again? Or is, or is this just going to be like a, you know, a blip where it like goes up and it comes down again? Or, or are we just on like, no, this is the start of the, yeah. like, this is the new momentum stock. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. One in the UK, the numbers have come down recently. And so that's really, really good news uh, in the UK. Okay. However, the UK is different than the United States for many various reasons. Right. And so, Why? well, I don't know. Lifestyles. I don't live in the UK. I can tell you in the United States, we're just different. Right. You know, <laughs> we're built different. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But anyways, <laughs> that's a that's a cultural meme. But uh, anyway, so. I don't know, guys. I'm worried because if it's way more contagious, we're taking it way less serious. And, you know, uh, the hospitalization, the ICU numbers keep going up. Who's to say they're not going to, you know, shut down state by state again? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. that's the whole thing. And if you watch the ICU numbers and the hospitalization numbers are going up. And also, from my understanding, um, from everybody I've spoke to that I know that's in the healthcare field, all of them are seeing younger folks with this Delta variant coming to the hospital than the last one. The last one was like, oh, it's mostly old people or people with health conditions. Now it's a lot more folks uh, that I'm hearing, you know, from people I actually know in real life, not just like the mainstream media, like people I see that are like, dude, yeah, we're getting some people in their 30s, 40s, 50s that aren't like unhealthy folks that are, that are coming in and getting hospitalized. Now, now here's the, thing. So, the difference between now and back then is now we have a vaccine. And so yeah. from my understanding, what it, it's the vast majority of people who are hospitalized don't have the vaccine. Is that is that true? That Yes. Yeah. yeah. All, all, all the look in I did yesterday, everything points to that. But um, that doesn't mean those people are going to run out and get vaccines. You know what I mean? And so if the numbers, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, like if the ICU numbers and the hospitalization numbers keep going up. I have a friend um, whose uh, uh, fiance is a doctor in, in Arizona. And uh, the hospital she works at, they already have had to cancel um, any surgeries that are not like you have to have it today type surgeries because the hospital's, hospital's gotten that full that fast. And it's all happened within like the last like two weeks, essentially. The numbers have just gone through the roof. And then if you look at the numbers on the Rony Rona, it's just gone crazy the last two weeks. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I can tell you this next seven days is extremely important because if we all of a sudden get back to 200,000 cases a day, there's no way in the hospitalization ICU numbers climb. There's no way that they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll just keep it open. You know, it's just it's not going to make sense. That's a good. Oh, go ahead, Graham. 
Yeah, I was just about to say, you are seeing a lot of places now mandate to require the vaccine, uh, either to return to the office, uh, return to restaurants, uh, go into certain businesses. So I think we're seeing, you know, it starts with one business and then they're all going to slowly start to trickle in. And I think I think that might make a difference. Does yeah, anybody have any on- data on... Uh, how this virus affects people that are vaccinated because I've and I've read this mostly from mainstream media of people that still do get sick not everybody but people still do get um, affected by this even with a vaccine so do we have any numbers on that yeah you can still get it no doubt I know a lot of people in in the private stock group that have gotten it and uh, including one guy he messaged me a week or two ago and he said you know he went to Spain with a group of 12 people all of them were vaccinated and they all got it the only good news is none of them None of them got it bad. So none of them like had to go to the hospital or anything like that, but they all got it. They all had mild symptoms and they had all been double vaxxed. So there's no doubt you can still get it. And that's a scary part. And so, and then we're talking way more contagious than the last one. So it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me because I, and I didn't even think about this, but when I went to New York, I, I realized that, and I, again, I hadn't thought about this at all, but you, you go to go to places and they, some of them now require vaccine cards. I think they actually mandated it yesterday that everything's pretty much vaccine cards now. And uh, I didn't know this, but there are just like fake IDs. There are lots of fake vax cards. Really interesting. I don't, I don't know if you guys have come across that already. Well, we, we actually used uh, the clear app. You, are you guys familiar with clear? Every time you go to the airport, you know, there's that little stand. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of yeah. like TSA pre-check, but it's, it's a private company. It's called clear. Um, they're doing a lot of the, uh, I guess, confirmations for vaccines. So if you want to travel, definitely look into that. Use clear because there's a way to verify that you're vaccinated through them. So uh, use the Clear app. That's a, that's a really clear good Clear app. Clear app. So yeah. that's something you anybody can just download on their phone, basically, and then they probably take your social or something? Yeah, they take a lot of stuff. You have to take a photo of your vaccine card. They verify it, and it's a, definitely do it. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up getting to something like that because it's just too easy for people to just Photoshop, you know, a Moderna card or something like that. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah uh, but, so, I mean, I, I want to know from you guys, do, do you actually think, uh, I mean, okay, let's let's say with this trajectory, we go to two, 300,000 cases again. Within two weeks, we're at, you know, multiple hundreds, if not thousands of deaths again, maybe within four, four five, six weeks. How could they not lock down? I think like looking at it sort of on like a, just like a simple principles point of view, like if hospitals are overrun again, and and we basically go through the same crap we did the first time where the first time nobody had vaccines but you had a less transmissive virus now people have vaccines but the people with vaccines are like i'm back you know and and, <laughs> and they're able to spread it you know yep. uh, so so it's like, kind of like you've got like these trojan horses of people who feel cavalier that they're vaccinated like i don't need no mask i got vaxxed and, and <laughs> you know it goes everywhere so really it seems like you've got this perfect storm brewing of, of potentially lockdowns where, where, yeah, you know, the stock market, I'm curious, could potentially have another little tank. And uh, I mean, think about what, what who was it? Uh, oh, the, the hedge fund guy who went on CNBC, like, shut everything down. <laughs> Phil Ackman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before we get to the stock market, I just think it's, it's hilarious. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but, uh, you know, some people that will, will deny certain things, right? are the same people as like, I heard on TikTok, uh, I saw a TikTok video the other day. 
<laughs> they said something bad happened when I took that that fax. It's like, oh, oh gosh, no. it's so cringe. I, I've seen it. I'm like, if you start any sentence with "I saw on TikTok" or "I saw on Snapchat," <laughs> you're disqualified. Disqualified, right? <laughs> I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> you know that um, used to be like 15 years ago. Uh, the same thing used to be Wikipedia. It was, uh, it was I, I used to do debate in high school. And anytime somebody would say, according to Wikipedia, immediately people would just go, oh, okay, just stop right there. <laughs> oh, gosh. I heard people think about that way about YouTube finance, uh, finance YouTubers too. So I watched yeah. this YouTube video. Okay, yeah. that's it. You're disqualified. <laughs> By the way, really quick, before, before we continue, we do got to plug the Clips channel. It's down oh. below in the description. Before you forget, Go ahead and subscribe to the Clips channel. We just hit 20,000 subscribers. You get a new video posted every single day down below in the description. And now let's continue. <laughs> and let's continue on to Weeble. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, <laughs> not going to go there. But anyways, so uh, Graham, what do you yeah. think? Do you, do you think there's like if you were to put odds on it, let's play an odds game with all four of us. Okay, Graham, odds that um, states start limiting in a major way maybe let's not say shutdown but limiting in a major way activities uh it depends on the states i mean if we're talking about california i would say a 35 40 percent chance there's some sort of limitation if we're talking about nevada i would say maybe a 10 percent chance but i do think mask mandates will be the norm at least i would say throughout the end of the year Seems reasonable to me, but I can't see them limiting any sort of activities. Hmm. Okay, Andre, let's hear from you. I think it's a little too early to tell right now. It looks like we're on the uptrend a lot, but like you said, if it's two, three hundred thousand cases a day, I would put the odds at like thirty to forty percent, which is which is unfortunate. I really don't want to do that. I think that could be the worst thing if, uh, if that were to happen. And I know Kevin mentioned that he he really doesn't want to hold any recovery stocks, which is kind of interesting because. Uh, for most people, like one of the tenets of basic investing is just not to try to time the market and just continually stay invested in the market. So I'm really curious to hear Kevin's perspective as far as, you know, if you do hold a ton of those recovery stocks, which I happen to be one of those people, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a serious question for me. Like, do I do I sell my stocks now because I'm afraid that we might shut down um, because they are trending lower or do I keep them? Um, for me, as far as like investing goes, I've always been invested no matter what. Even if I see a tidal wave on the horizon, I'm like, I, I don't care. I'm just going to continually stay invested. I'm not going to try to time anything. So I'd, I'd love to hear at, at some point later in the video, uh, Kevin's perspective of, of you know how he's going to try to play this, if he's going to do anything different. Because I don't think I will. I, I think I'm going to just do exactly the same thing I've always been doing. Yeah. yeah. What, what's, your, what's your percentage there, Kevin? Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. You know, it, it's it's weird because here, let me let me just pull this up here. I, I just on a very simple kind of look. When we started growing with COVID cases here, the rate of increase wasn't actually that crazy until the winter. Look at that. As soon as we got to November, this thing went vertical. 
-hmm. and we're we're in august right we're we're like in this region of last year and i know this is a more transmissible virus but our incline is substantially higher than where we were in august before the winter that makes me nervous uh, so, you know, and I, I don't, I don't ever want to come across like fear mongery, but those, those are just little things I look at now, look before the, or during the last crash, did I sell? No, it's just like, whatever I hold and then buy more as it goes down. Uh, I think it depends really what the structure is of your portfolio. So if you have a bunch of call options right now that are expiring in the next like six to 12 months or even 18 months. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm every day almost I'm offloading call options in the last week. I've probably offloaded about one in $1.8 million worth of call options. Just like sell, sell, sell. Uh, and instead I've been, uh, selling puts and, uh, selling call options. So for example, a strategy that you might do just an idea is let's say you had carnival stock and, uh, you, you sell, sell a covered call. You know, you got a hundred shares of carnival stock, sell a covered call of for, I don't know, November or something like that at, at 20 bucks. And if it goes down to 12 bucks, hey, uh, you know, you're not gonna get called out and you get some premium in the meantime, uh, some extra cash. Uh, the, the downside though is uh, the Delta goes away and then it runs up to 40 and you get called out, right? So uh, the easiest thing to do is obviously nothing. Uh, I uh, am more concerned th than maybe I need to be right now, but but I am con concerned enough to where I just wouldn't wanna be in you know, them personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, you wouldn't be buying them, but you wouldn't necessarily, if you had them, you wouldn't necessarily be offloading them either. You wouldn't be selling them. Uh, I them. mean, the, the, yeah, it's, it's tricky now because you've already lost a good chunk, right? So uh, like CCL was like uh, carnival. What was it like 34, 35 or something like that? Uh, you know, if, if we were at Delta now and CCL is like 35, I'd, I'd honestly, I'd probably sell carnival at like 20. I don't know. It just feels like a sin to sell. <laughs> I, I, I would just maybe consider prepping to buy more mentally at like 15. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, man, that, uh, it's such a, yeah, you, you made a great point there, Kevin, about, you know, these stocks have already gone down a lot, whether you're talking about like a CCL or even a win, you know, wins yes. at, I don't know, I think it was at 94 today. So it's, it's, a, mm. it's a tougher, you know, if these were flying high, I think it would almost make sense to cash and be like, well, in case this thing keeps going crazy, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll go down a bunch, but when it's already sold off, a lot of these stocks, 20, 30, 40% plus, a lot of times it makes sense. Um, but, you know, to Andre and Graham, you know, it feels like I thought you guys' percentages are really low. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I would say there's a 70% plus chance if these numbers keep on this trajectory, here's, we're, we're extremely limited within yeah. the next three weeks. But here's one thing I do want to uh, bring up, and this is uh, not to underplay the, like, the severity of the situation, but when you do look. Now, Kevin was showing the chart at the number of cases and how we're back to where we were in August. But if you look right now in terms of how many people are passing away, and again, mm. this isn't to undermine that because it's, it's nope. tragic no matter what way you look at it, but we're still at half. Actually, we're, we're, we're at a fifth. So we're at 20% of what it was in August a year from a year ago. When you look There's at that a big issue. Yeah, I would say there's a big yeah. issue I have with that number, though. 
we just yeah. started to take off crazy with the cases just in like the past two weeks. So in terms of death numbers, you're, you're not going to see that yet. You'll start seeing that next week, the week after, the week after. That's when those numbers would roll in, right? Um, in terms of right now, it's just the raw numbers going up. So I think we need some more time to kind of play out to see like what those percentages are and things like that. Oh, I like it. That's great. Thank you. Do you really? Yeah. Sorry, not the deaths. I, I like this. I, I did use an... <laughs> I did use an iced coffee cup to pour really hot coffee. Yeah, and so that was pretty okay. stupid, but I like it. Thank you. Thank you. So you know, here's the thing. Ideally, you need to try that over ice. Like I would put that in the refrigerator overnight, try it over ice with a little bit of cream. That to me is where it's perfect. You know that YouTube channel, The Hot Ones with the spicy wings? Yeah. We should, do, we should do a millennial money version with like coffee. It just gets your, it gets the guests like a heart attack. It's just your heart goes faster. It's just like, oh man, no, Kevin, the one you got to try. And unfortunately I don't have any bags to give out. It was sold out like the first few hours is to the moon coffee. There's double the caffeine. Right. <laughs> yes. Double. Thank you. It's That's just what I need. <laughs> imagine, imagine coffee shots. Like it's like, it gets like darker or like more stronger as you go. And you ask them questions about finance. Like, so oh what's your net worth? And they have to take a shot. <laughs> I don't Cuban, know. Cuban like espresso. <laughs> yeah. right. Okay. okay so back to the depths. Okay. Yes. Oh. Back to this. Jeremy, you were finishing that thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it's never really uh, has been as much about deaths or uh, even the raw numbers, it, even though, you know, those are definitely worth talking about. It's really about hospitalization ICU numbers. That's the ones that always make the state say we got to shut down. We got to stop the spread because we're getting way overwhelmed in the healthcare system. And all of a sudden, you know, we never want to be in a, a situation, obviously, where you can't even help somebody come to the hospital because you don't have a bed or if they're in a serious condition, they don't have a, an ICU bed right so i think i think that will definitely be the most important numbers to pay attention to over the next one to two weeks is hospitalization numbers yeah. icu numbers and not percentages total total is what's important because we all you know i was looking at something it was a big city in the united states and they had such a small amount of icu beds it was crazy and their population i don't remember what city it was and their population was huge and i'm like like, what are they doing? Like, you know, it's just crazy. So anyways, that that's what's going to be important. A lot of people disagree as far as, you know, shutting everything down. But my question is, uh, at what point does it become appropriate? Like, at what point do you look at it and you objectively say, you know, now is the time to shut down? And, and it's a great question for Kevin, because I know Kevin's running for governor. Um, mm. you know, if Kevin was in charge today, of, let's say California, you know, mm. like, what would it take for you to actually shut down? Yeah. I, I, I think it's a great question. One of the things that frustrates me is I feel like still a, a year plus into this pandemic, the government is not educating folks that if you want to protect yourself, get an N95 or better mask, a valveless mask, right? This is very, very simple. And when, when I say that, I to me, that's the first thing I want to do because I don't want to lock down. That's something that I, I stand for is no lockdowns. Like business should remain remain open, but there could be reasonable guidelines that are, that are countered like some of this crap. Look at this. I saw this. I'm going to pull this up really quick. This was on the CDC's website. I tweeted this, how stupid this is. The CDC is literally telling you not to buy N95s because they're prioritized for healthcare workers. I'm like, well, then what was the point of having the Defense Production Act? Manufacture more. Buy more. You've had a freaking year and, and almost a half now. 
it's so stupid. Like the government's handling of this is 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 pretty guys, disgusting. I, sorry, not to interrupt you. Do you guys remember the time where I remember it was Dr. Fauci or who I'm not sure who it was that said that N95 masks aren't even effective against the virus? Like we were told that mm. it was not effective. It, it, it wasn't going to make a difference. Yeah, I, I think where that comes from is that the COVID particle itself is smaller than the filtration of these masks, but right. the COVID particle rides on dust or or debris that is large enough to be caught by these. So I right. think sometimes that's how you can get um, that kind of confusion. That's probably possibly where that came from. I don't know. But the other thing is, I think rather than telling businesses to shut down, which this is still not happening, again, year and a half into a pandemic, and this is still not happening, mind blowing, okay? Rather than shutting down, uh, HEPA filters. I got a big one right here, seven hundred dollars. And I don't, I'm not saying you have to buy a big one. This is like a commercial, like industrial style HEPA filter. I crank this thing; it changes the air in this room like ten times an hour, and that destroys any possibility for COVID cloud buildup. You put the UV lights in there and HEPA filtration. My goodness! Now you're eliminating COVID cloud uh, transmissions. That to me is the role of government. It's like, hey, folks, here's your N95 mask. Here's your HEPA filtration device. Restaurants, you can be open, but you gotta have a you know window open if the weather's possible. Otherwise, you gotta have uh, you know four or five HEPA filters per whatever how many square feet, whatever. The science can guide that kind of stuff. That to me is the role of government. And then, hey, if you want to protect yourself from COVID, you don't want to get a vaccine, that's fine. Put on N95 and protect yourself. Like the odds of you getting COVID in a HEPA filtered ventilated area with an N95 mask, psh, next to nothing. Right. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. My friend just texted me who he's a, he's a hospital tech. Mm -hmm. um, he looks at a lot of the numbers and he said that uh, hospitals are actually discharging patients in order to make room for more beds. So they're anticipating what's wow. going on. Yeah. Wow. That's scary. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to also pick up on this. See, like this person right here just wrote masks don't work. And see, right. this right here is not this person's fault. This right here, this statement is a failure of the government. Now, I'm not trying to sound like, oh, I'm just blame the government for everything. I'm serious, though. The government tells you, oh, get a mask. So people get the little bandanas or whatever, and they just wrap them around their head or something like that. This stuff's worthless. It's like 15 to 25% effective. And of course it's not gonna work. The dumb Etsy masks that fall off your nose, mm. of course it's not gonna work. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a dangerous subject there. Okay, so let's break it down on a simpler level, okay? Yeah. Cause we're talking about shutting everything down and everybody's like, oh my gosh, shut down the restaurant, shut down the, okay. Big events, my, my wife, um, and, and some others just went to a soccer game here in Vegas this past weekend, 61,000 packed in there, supposed to have their mask on. I watched that thing on TV, someone's wearing mask. Football season's coming, college football, NFL, supposed to have packed stadiums. I don't think there's going to be any fans in the stands. I'll be completely honest. If you had to make that decision, guys, let's go round table here. Would you allow, with the, the way that the cases are rising, would you allow 50,000, 100,000 people in a stadium right now graham let's take it with you first <laughs> oh geez i don't know and that's a hard question i don't watch sports so i i have no idea man what does that have to do with the price of eggs graham come on man a lot of those are a lot of those are outdoors i don't know if, if we're giving if we're throwing out random percentages i don't know 30%, 35%, no. maybe, maybe they limit capacity in some way. It's 75% instead of 100% capacity. I, I'm not sure. 
I just I don't know. I I, I feel like just throwing been, out numbers. Is, have you been Have you been teaching Graham how to be a politician? Because that's a very <laughs> political answer there. That is a great question, Jeremy. But you know what's a better question? <laughs> the real estate market. That's what people really need to be focusing on. Is the eviction and uh, foreclosure. Uh, the bands that just came out. That is a question that we should all be considering right now. Oh, look, I'll, I'll close the stadium thing off and then let's hit, to, hit, hit Graham's thing. Uh, look, like Graham said, most stadiums are outside. I, I think we can agree most things outside are much, much safer than uh, than indoor settings. Indoor settings is where people are getting sick. They're getting sick in their homes because they don't have HEPA filters at home either. Uh, they're getting sick in restaurants. They're getting sick in comedy clubs. They're getting sick in nightclubs that are closed off indoors, no ventilation, no filtration. And it's a failure of government. Uh, it, in my opinion, it's not the people's fault. So I, I don't know. Maybe we ended on that and go to real estate. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to research this. I'm going to find it. You guys are talking about – I'm going to look up how many NFL stadiums are outdoors because I believe the majority of NFL stadiums are actually indoors. But I'm going to research this. But you guys can talk while I research this. Okay? I, I mean, look, if it's indoors, yeah, I, I mean, that's hard to filter. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't find how many. But I've, I would say it's about half of NFL teams probably have indoor stadiums. And I can tell you, based upon that – how are you going to enforce that people are going to have their mask on? You know what I mean? It, when there's 60,000 people in a crowd. Well, no. You know what people do? It's the same thing people do on planes. They put the mask around their neck or their forehead or whatever, and, and then they just sit there with their cup in their hand all day long, the whole flight. Like I was, I was on a couple JetBlue flights here uh, over the last – actually, four JetBlue flights over the last month. And the people who didn't want to wear masks, they would just sit there. They'd order a drink and they'd sit there the entire time. Anytime a stewardess walks by, I'm not gonna lie. You can't tell me to wear my mask. It was me the whole trip. I'm gonna savor these pretzels for three hours. Yep. And then you keep hearing the announcements too. Ladies and gentlemen, even if you're drinking or eating, you should be wearing your mask in between or whatever. Nope. <laughs> no, it's not working. That's you know, that's what's interesting. It's like when it comes to enforcing these, it's like you either yeah. do it all the way or none at all. Doing it well, halfway yeah. is not really helping anybody. Well, it's and that's why I personally also think that Look, if you don't want COVID, then at least you should be educated on how not to get COVID. You know, if, if, if the government's like, look, if you're worried about getting COVID and you're not vaccinated because you don't believe in the vaccine, then don't go to indoor places without at least an N95 or P100 on. Otherwise, you're likely to get COVID. Like if, if it was just very clear, then the government could give individuals their freedom and let people make their own choice. You want to put yourself at risk? Fine. It's like not wearing a seatbelt. Right. Yeah, but you can't even – I understand you're making a good point there, Kevin, but then at the end of the day, you go back to the whole, well, we're filling up hospitalization and ICU care. At the same time, those same person is like, oh, I don't care. I don't need uh, this. I don't need that. I'm going to take my own risk. Then all of a sudden, they're taking up a bed at your hospital and ICU. That's true. And trying to fight for their life. So yeah. I don't know. Things to think about at least. Um, it's you a know. disaster. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough situation all the way around. So, Graham – Let's yeah. get to this super exciting subject around uh, evictions. Yeah. September. This, is a, this was a big one. So beginning August 1st, the, the ban for both evictions and foreclosures expired. Now, some states like California and New York, they were already extended a little bit beyond that. So instead of August 1st, I think it was supposed to be like the beginning of October. So over the weekend, 
uh, Congress was really worried. Like, what's going to happen on Monday, Tuesday, if all of these evictions start going through and all of the foreclosures? Well, it appears as though now they've extended that. And I, and I have not had a chance to really look into it much further than just the basic headlines. But it appears as though now they've extended it another, what, uh, 60 days. Two months. Uh, when is it? October, right? Yeah, October now, 3rd. Kevin, did this, did this, because my understanding was they drafted something that needs to be passed first, or is it already, is it done? This is done. So done. basically what happened is the Supreme Court outlawed the prior eviction ban. And now Congress is like, what the H-E double hockey sticks? We literally just gave $46 billion to Americans to pay their back rent relief. But the problem was the federal government didn't take control of it. Federal government did the brilliant thing that they like to do and go, ah, we'll let the states distribute the money. We'll let the, and then the states are like, we'll let the individual counties distribute the money. And then all the different counties in the country had to set up their own like rental relief portals and their own uh, rules. And some of them were like, we'll only pay 60%. The landlord has to take a haircut. And then landlords are like, well, F you. Anyway, it created this seven month disaster to where only $3 billion of the $46 billion authorized have gone out to people. So in other words, Congress is like, we paid for this already in December and February. What are you doing, states? And the states are like, yo, sorry, we need more time. So anyway, Joe Biden's like, yo, CDC, we know the CDC uh, or uh, the Supreme Court said your last eviction ban is outlawed. Uh, just draw up a new eviction ban that looks a little different. And let's just try again for a couple months anyway. So that's what happened. Yeah. So even if even if it is banned in the future, by then it's too late. They got their 60 days. They got mm -hmm. what they wanted. Part that's of me does feel like at, at this point, it it's not taking into account the small mom and pop landlords who are honestly hurting from the situation. Yeah. That they've especially right now, I think the tenants who who could be evicted. I bet the majority of I, I and again I'm throwing out numbers here. I bet a lot of them have not paid in quite some time. Yeah. And so if mom and I'm talking like small mom and pop landlords, not not like big conglomerate real estate companies, but like have not gotten paid in a year. How I, I don't get how they would be able to recover from something like this. Yeah. And you know who it really burns the most is the mom and pop landlord who doesn't have a loan because mortgage yeah. forbearance is an option for loans. There is an option for property tax forbearance, insurance forbearance. It's a headache. It's a pain in the butt. You're, you're, you're stuck with the stress in your life, but there are lifelines and uh, the rent relief is supposed to give you up to 100% of the last 12 months of rent and potentially another three months going forward. So in some sense, even though landlords right now could be fed up and like just get these people out at this point, right? The people who are eligible for that rent relief, in some sense, it's almost better for the landlord to just finally get that rent relief money through if states just states and counties get their act together because then they do get reimbursed 100%. Whereas if they evict the person, well, then there goes the opportunity to get rent relief money. Now the landlords are trying to get a judgment against somebody, right? And, and collect money from somebody who doesn't have money. So it creates even worse problems. And then that person's credit gets destroyed. It's all a big mess. Do you guys think that it will potentially force some people to sell off their properties to get out of it? Because they're not making any money from it, will there be? Yeah, it has to. It has to, right? It like we have 100%. to. Have it. Now, right. now the thing is, right now the real estate market is so good that on the benefit to 
if there's any sort of silver lining, the benefit right now is that they would be able to sell and get more money today than they would have a year ago. That's not the ideal situation. That to me would be like the, the last case resort of like owning a property. Let's say it's been in the family for you know two generations and you, you know you refinanced it a few years ago, you invested the money somewhere. I, I don't know. Uh, that would be terrible <clears throat> to force to sell a property or something like that. But uh, it, right. at least the, the market is high enough now to demand a bit of a premium. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that we're going to see this flood of inventory. Look, the reality is right now we've we've got buyer demand already slowing down. So I do think inventory is just naturally going to fill up. But there's a lot of demand for fixer uppers. Uh, If a tenant hasn't been paying rent in 18 months or something like that, and there's an eviction, you know, I think there's plenty of institutional or uh, individual investor demand to pick these things up. Uh, and, and I don't want to be the kind of person that's like, oh, real estate's never going to crash. But uh, I don't know. I just every time I try to convince myself that nope, this is it, this is the top. That's like, I don't, I don't know. Things are so stable in the real estate market. It's it, like the quality of borrowers, the average credit score is like seven sixty to seven eighty for a loan right now. People are. I know McGram, you started off by saying household debt is higher, but uh, you know mortgage debt uh, or what is it? Um, Oh, I don't know. Oh, less people are refinancing to take cash out of their properties now than ever in the past. Like I think it was during 2008 when people refinanced, 80% took cash out to go buy a boat or whatever. Now it's like 30%. It's much lower. So people are almost being somewhat frugal, taking advantage of lower rates, insulating themselves more, higher credit scores. It's not an interesting world where it's like the world is, I mean, it's not really falling apart, but it looks like it's about to. And yet yes. there's like no opportunities anywhere. It's like, yeah, but we still have really rich people ready to buy everything up. And it's like, ah, it's just like nothing makes sense. And it does. It makes perfect sense. Like you just explained it, but it doesn't at the same time. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's all I've got to add. Graham, <laughs> Jeremy. I, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to add on this subject, man. Uh, nothing. I mean, but uh, Graham, how much of a risk do you think this actually poses for the real estate market in general? Is it a very, very low risk, low, moderate? Like where would I you think it's low? Yeah, I, I forget who gave this data, um, but just recently it was, it was, it was found that it was like two point one percent of all mortgaged properties right now are actually underwater, and if we consider that half of all properties in the U.S. are already owned outright. So right off the bat, we take half of the property. So really, 1% of all properties in existence in the U.S. are underwater. Of those 1%, I would imagine that an even smaller portion are actually behind on their payments at risk of a foreclosure. So in terms of foreclosures, I think pretty slim. In terms of evictions, the, it was the National Multifamily Housing Council found that still like 94% of tenants are paying their rent in full by the end of the month. And that's 2% lower than it was two years ago. So we have a 2% higher increase in tenants that are more than 30, 60 days behind on the rent. So I think the people who it impacts, impacts really hard. But for, for the broad market, I don't see this having a huge impact. And you don't think that by September losing the unemployment benefits is going to have any impact either? Could. I think it certainly could. But uh, we also are seeing, I mean, all of this is speculation, but we're also seeing quite a labor shortage. And there are a, a multitude of companies now now paying more money just to entice people to come back to work. So that could 
kind of balance things out a little bit, but it's yet to be seen. I have a feeling uh, for people who probably are a little bit ahead of the curve, who, who don't wait until the last minute, I think start looking now, get lined up with a good career or a, a good job that's paying well, and you could be quite competitive. Yeah, I mean, real real estate market to me always comes back to one core thing that is always most important in my opinion. It's jobs. You know, as long as folks have jobs, um, you know, I, I don't see a crash. But as soon as, you know, if for any reason we ever got a real sustained recession and the jobs went away, the real estate market would fall. I don't, I don't know if it would fall anything close to what happened in, in 2008, 2009. But I think I, I truly believe as long as people can continue to make those payments, which is because of their jobs, right? You're good. Um, it's when all of a sudden the jobs go away and if credit dries up at the same time simultaneously, that's when you run into some problems. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have real foreclosures out there. So um, that, that's kind of what I draw back to. Look at the jobs market, look at unemployment. That's going to give you a, a decent idea of where real estate's at. And then you tag on super low interest rates and, and you got a, a whole situation. And there. that's what you just described is so interesting because we lost a ton of jobs in the last, uh, you know, in, in March. Right. But here comes the fed <laughs> mortgage forbearance for everyone. Everybody takes mortgage forbearance, which was basically a stimulus check for, uh, for property owners, the best stimulus check you could have really gotten short of like the PPP or something like that. Uh, it was, it was very, very generous. And, uh, and so you don't get any sales when the housing market booms. So I just wonder, talking delta sort of circling back to delta what if we get this scenario again where we have uh you know everybody's getting delta basically everybody's getting sick who goes outside and uh and unfortunately lots of then unvaccinated folks are are um are, are going in hospitals we do see uh stores close down again which potentially means job loss again right do we then have another round of stimulus do we then have another round of forbearance like do we just bring back those programs and then the concern becomes geez we thought debt sustainability was going to be a problem after covid 1.0 what about after doing it again you know that's the same thing for recovery stocks because look you know it's easy to say oh well carnival almost went bankrupt so sure it went down to eight dollars or whatever in, in march april of last year so and, and even in the summer when there was like a summer wave but anyway uh okay so carnival went down oh it's gonna go bankrupt oh no 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 as soon as we realize it doesn't go bankrupt, those vaccines come out, the thing skyrockets. But they still have a lot of their old debt. So what happens when we now layer on top of that a COVID 2.0 round of debt? I don't know. That's that's I don't know. Does that become too heavy? Jeremy, it's almost like to leapfrog what you were saying. It's not even jobs. It's just you can almost say it's kind of interest rates. It's like it's as long as we keep them at zero and we continue flooding the economy with all this helicopter money, it's totally fine. It's <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. And as long as you have, uh, you know, Roni, see, this is the thing, like if the government um, or states, let's say, start shutting things down because the cases get too high, then they have an excuse to print money, to do the helicopter money. The problem is if you let these numbers continue to go crazy, but you keep things open, what's going to be your excuse, let's call it that, um, to go ahead and flood the market with money at that point? That then if because if you're just going to give money out there like crazy, uh, you know, in a normal environment, then you're being socialist. Right. And so then you're taking on socialistic policies. If you're in the middle of a bad situation like Roni Rona, no one no one was questioning that. Right. And I have, I have friends that are that are super on the right who, who were not questioning the money that was given to businesses and not questioning the money that was given because they weren't they weren't like, oh, this is socialist. They're like, well, it's because the government shut us down. 
So, you know, these are these are important discussions to have, like, you know, the next time something goes wrong and it's not because of a once in a hundred year health event. But do, do they, we, we, yeah. Last so time, once a year health event. Oh, <laughs> but dude, last time though, we, we had at least some pushback from Republicans, right? We had Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. All these, yeah, we had all these people kind of stopping that. But in this time, we have the Democratic trifecta. So <clears throat> this time, it's there's really nothing stopping anything as far as helicopter money goes. If, there, if there's a need, it's going to come. And so, gosh, I don't know. It, it could be <laughs> way worse inflation wise. Yeah, I, there's I hope, no inflation. Yeah, there's no. <laughs> I, I, I hope the uh, I hope the government's on their toes, you know, with this whole situation. Because I, I can tell you, last year well, they got Biden. Well, that the, the, here's the problem. Okay, last year, you know, we know who was in office, and we know, uh, you know, how much pressure was on him all the time to, you know, and as soon as the numbers were rising, it's like it's his fault, and he needs to do something. Now the cases are going crazy, and obviously the mainstream media is not putting the attention on the guy that's in office now. And I'm just wondering if they're going to be unprepared because there's not going to be that that pressure on there to like, hey, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. I don't want to say wake up. That sounds bad. You gotta be ready to <laughs> rock and roll. I'm just offending everybody in this. I'm offending the Republicans because they don't want to talk about Roni Run anymore, and I'm offending the Dems because their their man's getting a free slide here. My dad sent me a clip last night from ABC talking all about how cases are going crazy. And there's no mention about Biden. No mention about, mm. oh, you know, what's Biden doing about this? I could tell you, man, if these numbers are going up under that last guy, they would be on him. They'd be on him. I'm telling you. And I'm not even you know, that last guy, but they would be on him, man. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah, you guys might not want to comment on that in respect. Okay? <laughs> Can I take a lifeline? <laughs> yeah. All your, your brains are too valuable. <laughs> Can I eliminate two options, please? Okay. <laughs> Look, I'll comment on it. I'll, okay. I'll tell you if if you're not in the 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 me if you're not the media's favorite, the media can be brutal. Uh, and uh, I I mean I feel that in my own little world. I, I don't want to by any means try to like compare to the presidency, but just like my own world running a campaign. Oh yeah, <laughs> like it's. It, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'll leave it at that. But yeah, I, I felt it. No, that, that makes sense. So, uh, anyways, uh, Kevin, are you interested in any stocks now that these stocks? You know, uh, when was that ninety four? Is that interesting you yet, or, or not really? I, somebody sent me something about Las Vegas Sands. I haven't been tracking that one heavy, but somebody was talking about Las Vegas yeah. Sands is is down even more than when I don't know. I have to look in that. Or is it like you've got to wait at least a month or two before you touch any of these travel stocks? Probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, I will wait substantially. I just realized that Robinhood is up another 11% in the after hours, by the no. way, Whoa. 24% of the day, another 11 and after. Yeah. Wow. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, you know, I was looking at Las Vegas Sands today after uh, Caesars reported and I'm just not uh, enthused at all, touching anything uh, recovery related. I'm looking, you know, I just sold some puts on Wayfair because it seemed like it was pretty low. It was like 230. Uh, but uh, I'm not even interested in buying shares. I've kind of like just it feels so weird because I've never done this before, but I'm just like more cash. Thank you very much. More cash. Thank you very much. Like I'm spending less. I'm like, I'll just 
I'll just wait. <laughs> wait. Like, is a part of me is like I'm already so long exposed to the market with with tech stocks or or uh, you know energy stocks, Tesla, Apple, whatever. Right. I'm already so long exposed. Right now, I don't feel like it's the time to really just be like freely buying. <laughs> what, what's what's your second biggest investment, Kevin? I know number one's Tesla. Number two, is it your short position on Tattooed Chef or is it something bigger? Oh. Than that? <laughs> uh no, it's probably um uh <laughs> it's it's so it's Apple, Amazon, Etsy, Redfin. You'd be surprised, but Robinhood's kind of up there too. Wait, um, you bought Robinhood? I figured you would. I figured <laughs> I knew you would. Whoa, yeah. Kevin, what what made you want to buy Robinhood? This is this is shocking news to me. What? I I yeah, I this this pain I think like this opening IPO salvo was just a wonderful like punishment that I feel like everybody was kind of expecting, but their numbers aren't that bad. For, for comparing the fintechs, they crank money. And now I know a lot of money came from Dogecoin, but even aside from Dogecoin money, these people they make money. And look, I hate to say it, but you go on Weeble to do options, it's way more complicated than Robinhood. You go on SoFi or Public, you're not doing options. Uh, Square, you're not doing options. The Cash App or whatever, you're not doing options. Uh, Chase, dude, I wanted to sell some options, uh, some covered calls on Tesla. Uh, it had gone up, and I'm like, this is the perfect moment to take advantage of some increase in IV. So I had to call them. It literally was an 18-minute phone call to exercise two transactions. And I don't talk to Lauren that long on the phone. <laughs> okay. So, right. so I hate to say it, but uh, yeah, yeah, Robinhood. Now, now, let me ask you this. Let me really quick, because I know their numbers are really good now. Yes. Um, it's going down. You run the their website data is going down. What? Their, their their traffic to their website is going down. No, kind no. of like I'm, my okay. biggest concern is if payment for order flow is regulated or banned. Because right mm. now Robinhood makes a substantial amount of money from payment for order flow. Yeah. If for some reason they determine that's a conflict of interest, like uh, I believe Canada and the UK has, sure. they do the same thing here. Robinhood is going to scramble. They're going to lose a lot of money. That is, I think, the biggest risk. I think, honestly. Everything stays the same. Robinhood could very easily get into loans, banking, credit cards. They could they could expand into in a pretty much anything fintech. They've already got the audience. They literally could snap their fingers and they've got it. But you know, payment for order flow is a big thing. So so payment for order flow is over 80% of their revenue, which is crazy because in my video, I talked about not seeing, for, for some reason, I don't see Robinhood getting into some of the more sophisticated products just because of the average balance or the median balance of every account user was like $240. And from my perspective, I, I, don't, I just don't see them offering those products because I think part of what makes Robinhood so great is the simplicity of the interface. And I don't know how they would integrate some of the more sophisticated things like credit card offerings or uh, checking you know accounts. I, I don't know. I don't think it matters at all the size of their account. I really don't. The fact that they have somebody who's downloading the app who has money in the account, they're there. They're on there. If Robinhood wants to, they send a push notification and everyone with $2 in their account gets a notification of something. That's huge. 
I think sure. just, having, just having that person on there, regardless of what their account size is, is big. Yeah, but for, for those people who, who are probably are using Robinhood as like a secondary brokerage to trade with like maybe fun money, I just don't see them taking out a giant loan through Robinhood. But, I mean, unless they're like ridiculously competitive. So that that's one thing I will say they do have on their side. Is here's here's what I do think, because I think for a lot of people, this is their secondary brokerage. I have an account with I don't know, eight different brokerages. Yeah, Robinhood is uh, low on the extremely low on the list. Um, but I will say, when you remove yourself from the personal finance bubble. And I'm sure when you talk to like the average person who just has a you know little investment account they, they trade in, I bet that's their main brokerage. I, I'm I'm curious for how many people Robinhood is is their number one. Right. I, I think if Robinhood, sorry Jeremy, I think if if Robinhood starts offering like, remember if they if they did last time, they were like three percent checking oh, yeah. savings yeah. accounts, which were not uh, what was it uh, FDIC? Uh, yeah, FDIC and not SIPC. And so yeah. they were just like, yeah, let's let's do it. if they did something like that, if they had just a ton of, you know, like venture capital money that they were just like, you know what, we're going to take a loss on this kind of like uh, Costco does on their chickens. <laughs> you, guys, you guys hear about that? They they take oh, a yeah, loss on their, on their chickens for, you know, just to get people in the door. So yeah, if Robin smart. did that, that would be super smart. Yeah. The other reasons, by the way, for the chicken is that apparently the, the smell of cooked food makes you hungrier and more likely to shop more. Right. So, sounds- yeah, I forget. I, I forget exactly how much more, but they've done studies. And I think like people spend on average like 15 percent more when they smell chicken when they walk in. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's what Robin and said. You open up the app. You're like, is that chicken? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it spritzes you a little bit. Uh, yeah. OK. Regulatory risk. I don't think payment for order flow is going anywhere. What, what I do think is that you'll have more uh, either transparency or in, into payment for order flow, or uh, you'll have more recu- like more regulation around, hey, you can only have X percent going to Citadel and X percent going to another or, or something like that. Or maybe there has to be an automatic like price competitive marketplace for 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 payment for order flow. I, I don't know it's it's also arcane but i don't think it's going to go anywhere but yes that is a risk kevin imagine if they started integrating a stable coin from the us uh from the government that would that yes. would make a huge deal um just because these brokers uh these market makers they wouldn't have the same risk right so they wouldn't be trading derivatives they would have the money on hand and so they wouldn't have to shut down trading of these securities so in a way, I could see uh, a U.S. stablecoin being a huge benefit to them. No yeah. more T plus two. No oh, more gosh. of that instant yeah. settlement. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. it'd be wonderful. Uh, I think it's we're going to go in that direction. You know, whether it's um, instant settlement via stablecoin or central bank or uh, central bank digital currency, whatever. I'm I'm all for it. I think yeah. honestly, even blockchain can solve this this crap we're dealing with with um, the rent relief. Like if they just use blockchain, more transparent, faster, more efficient. My goodness, you know. Or voting. Nah, that's too radical. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting, I want to hear from, tell me about it. I mean, why couldn't that work? Why couldn't it work? It should totally work that way. I don't know why we haven't done it yet. Yeah. I mean, then you could vote from your phone, right? Everybody, basically in the back end, the government could associate your social with a, uh, you know, wallet in theory, something like that. So that way only the government knows who that 
particular wallet is or whomever you decided to tell, which is your right. problem. Uh, and, and then you um, then you actually have a system where it's like, okay, as, as long as the government, which I mean, that's that's the trust element. As long as the government says one wallet per one social, right? And that is true. As long as that's true. Well, now you have a completely transparent voting system. Yeah. I don't know what we're waiting for. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> It'll be there in like 20 years, Andre. Don't worry. Yeah. The only downside is people right now are going to be like, ah, oh, no, but that way they could, they could track everything I'm doing. And, you know, but then on the upside, taxes would be a lot easier to pay. And we have to I don't think that. it's, it's not going to happen anytime soon. They're still using fax machines. So like to go from <laughs> that to like, just, I just, I can't see that's it. True, it's just, it's so All right. hated. Gosh. Okay. Three things I want to cover here. First is if you want me to spend more money, I need to smell two things. One is some bankroll coffee, and the second is some tattoo chef. Mm, I spent so much money in your store if you had those two things. The second thing is uh, we, we love you, subscribers. Thanks for being here. And also, we never give a shout-out to the folks in the members-only chat. And I just want to say everybody in the members-only chat, we see you guys. We appreciate you. I almost always watch back the episode when I have time later in the week, and I, I look at the comments. So we appreciate you guys. Thanks for being here. Members chat as well as uh, everybody that subscribed to the channel every Tuesday night. Third thing is Robin Hood. Okay. So Graham, back to your point, you, you were bringing up about, you know, they could get into this, they could do that, things like that. Um, yeah. The issue is now they're a public company. So now it's really going to be about profitability and how much money can they actually make from things, right? And Robinhood has, I don't know if the valuation is 30 billion or 40 billion or, or what it's exactly. Now. Yeah. It's gotta be what? 42, $43 billion now. Roughly yeah. just quick, easy math. Roughly yeah. at least what I found is, is a buck per dollar that it's trading for. So a bill per what it's trading for. So that might be like 52 now. Cause the darn things like skyrocketing in after wow. hours. Yeah. So, so that's the thing. And so, you know, to fulfill that, it's value, getting rich now. Yeah. yeah. And if they were to go into a new business, likely they would have to lose money for a year or maybe multiple years, or it could be seen as maybe they don't make money. It really depends on many various factors, including how much money folks have that are using that product. Right. And so I don't know. These are things to keep in mind. And I'm, I'm seeing everybody pitch themselves as everything. Every bank now wants to be your everything. Right. They want to right. have your debit cards, your credit cards, your bank accounts, your brokerage. They want to do everything. And so it's a very crowded space. It seems like it's becoming and Coinbase, I'm sure has ambitions to be everything over the next five years. Voyager wants to be everything. And it's like, I don't know who's going to win and who's going to lose and, and who's going to come in fifth and in fourth place. Not, not to mention Jeremy, there's a, there's also, and, and I know I'm getting a little way ahead of, of, of myself here, but like DeFi, no one has any idea the impact that DeFi will have. And I know that might take another gosh, five years, might be 10 years before people are comfortable with it. But we have no idea the impact that DeFi will have. Yeah, but, you know, to, to folks, explain how DeFi could potentially disrupt um, uh, like bank accounts or something, something like that or a checking account. Could it could it really disrupt that over the next five, 10 years? No, it's not about disrupting checking or savings. I think it's 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 more about giving people more transparency. And because there's less infrastructure uh, that, you know, like you wouldn't need in a traditional bank, you wouldn't need the employees and all the systems and all the upkeep and the maintenance. Customers would be able to have more of their of their money generating money for them. And so mm -hmm. I still think bank, I'm not saying banks are going to be replaced. I think they'll, they'll still have a, a big role in the future, but I think their mm -hmm. role will be a lot less than it is today. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I do think DeFi is going to be a really exciting part of the future that no one has any idea what's coming.
Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I was listening to a Coinbase conference call. I don't know, maybe been three months ago, five months ago, or whatever. And they brought up the subject to the CEO. They asked him about DeFi and and what risk that has to Coinbase. And he said, you know, we could be part of that. And so I, I don't know what exactly that means to be part of that or to help that thrive. Well, well the way the way they and I'll explain it to you. What they mean by that is is um, Coinbase, for example. Whenever and I don't know if Coinbase does this. But I know other uh, crypto brokerage uh, brokerages do this. They'll work on DeFi platforms because because DeFi by itself right now is very complicated. It's like very very complex for most people. They're just they don't even care. Like I'm not going to touch it. And so what these big brokerages do because they have they're much more sophisticated. They will yield farm. They'll take all the interest. You know they'll stake the hundreds of millions of dollars whatever they might have on hand. And then they'll pay the difference to customers. They'll keep whatever for themselves. So they're the ones interfacing with all this complexity. And so they're kind of like the middleman between the customer and DeFi. But if you right now are sophisticated enough to go to DeFi directly, you're going to make an insane amount of interest on your money, much more than you would in a traditional bank. So, you know, right now it's too complicated, but that, that's what these middlemen are existing for right now. They're yield farming and they're giving us interest. Interesting. Is there anybody making a fortune off of DeFi right now? The people uh, with the coins. <laughs> yeah, the people with like the major brokerages that are doing it. And by the way, like BlockFi, I asked them about it. They do not interface with DeFi. Um, but I know that uh, Celsius, which is kind of a competitor BlockFi, does. So they interface with a lot of the, with the DeFi platforms and they'll pay their customers the difference. Mm. Hey, Kevin, I got a good question for you here, man. Somebody says, please advise on, on how to drop some stocks if I'm heavy on margin 30%. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fair question, though, to be honest, because, yeah, if you're, if you're heavy on that, that doesn't seem heavy on margin. Maybe I've gone too crazy. I was 100%. No, I wasn't 100%. I was 50% margin one point in my life. But anyways, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, but didn't you regret that? Yes, I regret it horribly. <laughs> <laughs> horribly. Yeah. But go uh, ahead. Yeah, I, I think uh, the psychology of margin is extremely damaging because what happens is when, when the market starts falling and you start seeing your margin percentage go up to 40%, to 50%, to 60%, you you get so nervous about, oh my gosh, I could get margin called, that this, this like weight over your shoulders is so damning and painful that – you forget that you should be buying the dip. So now you're worried, you know, rather than buying, you know, you should be enjoying the dips uh, rather than being worried about them. So not a big fan of, of uh, margin. Uh, I do. The, the only thing I do now is like, I'll use some of my margin collateral to sell puts and, and then they kind of like spread those out to like the summer of next year. Or sometimes I'll even sell puts on 2023s. And so it's like, my risk is very well spread out. But anyway, yeah, I mean, look, it's borrowed stuff. Pick some of your winners and just dump some of them or balance them off with, with some of your losers if you're worried about it and get yourself back under 10 or 20% margin. Just It's it's not yours. Just call it a wash and, and yeah. pretend you didn't have it. Yeah. And my, my two cents is, you know, unless you have at least 10 years of experience in the market in serious experience, I wouldn't touch margin. You know, it's, it's too dangerous. It's too much of a risk. You, um, you know, you're probably... People don't understand it. it's a whole different game when you start using margin because you might think you're getting a great deal on a stock. So you start going heavier and heavier on margin as it's dropping. Mm -hmm. But if you don't really have that experience, you haven't been through the ropes and, and you haven't experienced these sorts of things. You don't really know um, where you should be going in super heavy at. Right. You, you think, mm -hmm. oh, my stock dropped 20 percent. This means I need to 
go crazy on margin when really that stock could easily drop another 20, 30%. And if you don't have the experience, yeah, like TTCF that. at 20. Oh gosh. Yeah. TTCF <laughs> goes to $10. Oh gosh. Anyways, no. not uh, happening, Kevin. You're, you're right. I mean, I even, and this is one of the things that does make me nervous as well about the, the kind of combines these things like margin and DeFi, this conversation was had. I read that 90%, and this blew me away, 90% of the money invested in Bitcoin is on derivatives. And then that is done at, so that'd be like options and swaps. And then most of that, or futures, most of that is transacted on unregulated exchanges like Binance or FTX or whatever. And then on those platforms, people take out margin against their derivatives. Wow. So, That's crazy. Uh -huh. Yeah. Did That's you hear the that Huh? I said, did you hear that on TikTok? <laughs> when have I ever sourced something from I'm TikTok? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, Graham. Graham, yeah. I got a question for you. Would you ever consider using margin for stocks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I would. Uh, I don't have a need, though. If, uh, if for example, I uh, was all in the market, I knew I was going to have more money coming in, I was confident about my cash flow, and there was an opportunity short term that I wanted to jump on, I could see myself doing it. Uh, I could also see myself realistically I, I wouldn't be opposed to doing a pledged asset line basically borrowing against my stocks and investing it elsewhere i think you know I, at a certain level it just starts making sense with rates this low but otherwise i just haven't had a need to and i i prefer to keep it that way oh uh, i will say yeah based off what he just said if if i found a really good real estate deal i would swap my margin line like that <laughs> So right. in fairness, yeah. if I found a really good deal, like what Graham's just talking about, which although I think I may have just imposed that maybe you're looking for a good deal, but, but no, you said, no, no, you said that you said that if there was yeah, a good yeah. opportunity, yeah, right. you did say that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would do that too, but it, I would try to make it short term. Yeah, it would, I would never do it because it's like, oh, I want to invest more money, but how do I don't have it right now. So let me go and use the margin. I, I wouldn't do that. Can you explain for a second how you did the 1% loan on uh, real estate through your broker? What was that again? Oh, yeah. That's what Graham's talking about, like a portfolio line of credit or a pledged asset loan or whatever. So right. um, so I use JP Morgan. They do it. Uh, I think, uh, Jeremy, you got one after we talked about it. Graham, uh, you, I think you were talking about opening one or whatever. But yeah, just, just the banks. Okay. Just with the banks. Got it. I know BlockFi does it as well, but you need a four for one, I believe. That's the max. Hey, oh, in way. terms of how much I give you. Yeah, because it's crypto. Yeah. And what percent is it? What do you mean? Uh, well, how much interest on the margin? Uh, I think it was like 1% or something big. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, to, to follow up on that margin question we had earlier, I just read back through it. Uh, you know, she wasn't in a situation where she's losing a bunch of money on margin. It was more like she was using it. She's done pretty good in stocks, but now she wants to buy something else. So she wants to de-lever as far as the margin goes. So at least that's a happy end story. Uh, she's talking about like a, a Tesla or like, a, you know, a, a pet or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, a house she's talking about. Oh, oh. New house. yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, usually if you think about well, somebody trying to get off margin, it's because they've gone too crazy on it and they're losing uh, yes. money or something. So, so <laughs> yeah, we automatically assume. And somebody brought up a good point. They said, you know, what's the difference between, you know, taking out margin on stocks versus taking out 
uh, a real estate loan or a home loan. Oh, or like that. don't don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, seriously? It's the same no, thing. well, that's what they that's what they asked. That's what they asked. How would we answer that? Let's just say let's let's not compare it. Like let's not say Tesla stock versus a a, a real estate investment property. Let's just say. S&P 500 using margin for that versus, let's say, a real estate property using margin or loan for that. <laughs> Don't say margin for real estate. Real estate, if you have less than 20 properties if you're married or less than 10 properties if you're single, you can never get margin called on a 30-year fixed rate loan. 30 years of fixed payments. I don't give a crap what the market does. Your loan is entirely independent and unconditioned on what the market is doing. That is completely the opposite of stock debt. So when the market's crashing, I don't care if I have $15 million of real estate debt or, or whatever. It, do, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. As long as I'm making my payment, I'm good. And since the tenants are paying, great. Now, if every single tenant stopped paying, that'd be a problem. But we just had that experience. We just went through that. When that happened to the economy, what happened? Instantly, they bail out homeowners. Uh, slowly, after a year and a half, are trying to bail out tenants, right? And I don't have a single tenant that didn't pay me the whole time. So uh, there's one person I negotiated with. Uh, they had a problem. We took care of them. Uh, but, uh, but So the point is, it's vastly different. Vastly different. Good point. Solid point, Kevin. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to push back on that. I just I think it is worth discussing because some people would be like, well, you know, what, what's wrong with taking out, let's say, 15% margin, like 15% of my account doing margin S&P 500. S&P 500 gets, let's say, 7% per year on average or 8%. And they're looking at it and they're like, I'll just hold that for the next 20 years or 10 years. And, you know, that, I think that's the way some people look at it. So. Yeah, you know what? That would be okay. When the market crashes, you know, and that's a, that's that's the problem I think with margin. A lot of times, folks want to use margin when the market's already hot. <laughs> Kevin, are you an yes. investor in Bankroll Coffee? This is the third shout out now for it. <laughs> um, I declined to state. Yeah, <laughs> Jeremy, if you drink coffee, I would give you some too. Oh wow, I appreciate that. You could just deliver it to my window if you don't All mind. Right. Each morning, just knock on it and just. Here you go, I'll drink it, man. I'll give you an Instagram shout out. <laughs> no, so, anyways, uh, back back to the whole margin situation. Yeah. So buying at the bottom, or trying to. Yeah, I think I think a lot of folks they they get tied in the margin when they've already been making a lot of money in the market, yes. and they're like, why not make more? I can make more. Yes. I can make more. And uh, when the market's going down, it's scary, and people are like, I don't know where the bottom is. What's going to happen here? You know, like let's imagine, let's play a hypothetical game where this, these, these uh, Delta numbers keep rising. All of a sudden, everybody's freaking out and, oh, we're gonna shut down states again, blah, blah, blah. And let's say that situation plays out, stocks start dropping. You know, I, I don't know how many people are gonna be like, oh yeah, let me use my margin now, because where's the bottom? So that's, that's a tough part, so. Yeah, I, I think your first intuition is 100% is right on, where it's like people see, oh, I'm making all this money, I could be making 15% more, and that, that's like the equivalent of me working five hours less uh, a week or, or whatever, how they justify it, right? Super dangerous, super dangerous. Like, look, I, I went into margin in, in May, uh, but it was like a no brainer. I mean, the, some of the prices were so low, I'm like, F it, one and a half million dollars in on margin, you know? And, and then as the market started recovering, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna sell, I'm gonna get out of this, right? I didn't know that was gonna be the bottom, but I had zero margin. So I went to like, I don't know, what is that? Five or 6% margin, that was the time.
Andre, you don't you don't do any type of margin on crypto or anything like that, right? Oh, that would be the worst thing you can do. Oh my god. <laughs> you just want to get wrecked. <laughs> no. Hey, Andre, no. Imagine you went margin 100% back when Bitcoin was like 3,000 like a year and a half ago, man. Oh, it's it's not money. about Bitcoin. It's about Dogecoin. Right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man imagine no but can you even i mean can you you can't do traditional margin on crypto right like you can for stocks like there's not a there's not like a you have to go kind of more untraditional routes right no i believe BlockFi. you can yeah yeah blockfi does it for sure okay I, i've never used that service so i can't speak on it but what what are the what are the uh, rates they offer or they offer for like an average account let's say you got 100k I don't know off the top of my head, but I believe the minimum that it starts at for retail uh, is four for one. So whatever you have on hand, if you have $100,000, you could borrow up to 25K. Uh, oh, <laughs> wait, wait, oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. So, that, so that's, that makes it seem like if you have a dollar, they'll give you four. Yeah. Only 25%. Yeah, Correct. 25%. Yeah. But still, like, I, I, I still wouldn't do that. Like just yeah. because crypto moves so sporadically, I wouldn't do that. Andre, I mean, when you said four to one, I was thinking, yeah, four dollars for every one dollar. Oh, no, no, like, oh, Kevin was about to make a video about that. <laughs> I know. The margin's I know out of control there. in the crypto <laughs> I market. Oh, I already man. did just yeah. now. <laughs> it's, already, it's already released. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. 50% of Doge is owned by 20 people. That's funny. What? Is that true? Is that accurate? That might be, man. I don't know. Wow. Oh my goodness! I yeah. Oh yes, I saw somebody put that. What the heck? Oh my Jeez. goodness! Yeah. Oh. oh my gosh, they're right. Top twenty Dogecoin addresses sold over fifty percent. Imagine that twenty twenty couldn't people. Those, but couldn't those be brokers? brokers? Yeah. We got Robinhood for sure. We got uh, probably Weevil would be another one. We Elon. Probably got a few other. Yeah, Elon <laughs> is definitely. So I don't know. I'd have a hard time believing all of those are individuals. I, would I know. I, I would love to have, if the government does ever get involved, I would love for them to have disclosures like that. Like that would be great. Yeah. If, if they could demand, I don't know, like what requirement that what base floor would be. But Stocks, would, that's what they do. If you own more than 10% of a stock, mandatory disclosure. Yeah, something like that in crypto would be phenomenal. Like just, just yep. disclose it. I would love to know if Robinhood owns 10%. Why, why wouldn't that? Everybody yeah, well, what if like, Citadel owned like 90% of Doge, right? Like <laughs> that disclosure came out. Could you imagine that? <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That, that would be insane. So, uh, hey, one last thing here. Uh, Corsair hit 27. Any Corsair buyers in the house? Kevin, Graham, anything? Why is it, Jeremy, I didn't get a chance to watch your video, but why is it doing so poorly? Well, it fell 6% because they missed EPS. So they, they beat on revenues, but they missed on EPS. And this market's, you know, it's been tough on the little guys, man. A little guy like Corsair, $2 billion market cap. They missed uh, down 6%. Um, it, I should buy more. I, I'm down 14% on it. Yeah. I'm down, I'm down uh, I think, 17% on mine. So yeah. I feel good about only down 14%. I read their report this morning, and if, if for what it's worth, if it makes you feel any better, they had four mentions because I read their 8K and they didn't talk about why, but in their investor presentation, they had four mentions about 
air and shipping freights absolutely destroying their profitability this time that everything's taking longer to move it's slower it's it's way more expensive i think their margin even came in lower than expected uh which makes sense given the eps miss so um you know just uh just a little bit of transitory inflation nothing permanent and i'm yeah. sure the trip shortage is not helping them either they they didn't mention it. I'm sure. I although I don't know because it's probably. I bet you if we looked at their earnings call transcript, we would know. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm sure that was brought up because that is a big deal, and this is chip ish related. Right. Yeah. They they brought up chips uh, in the in the the uh, press release, but um, oh, yeah. I mean, sad. you know, it, it was impressive revenue, twenty four percent revenue up year over year. And that's after, you know, it was supposed to be like, no one's going to game or stream anymore. Like everybody's going outside now. And they but still yeah, do you think that was because we were kind of shuttered at home. Do you think that'll still be the same case? You know, once we, well, technically we have opened up, but you know. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the point. They still had this impressive growth this past quarter, even though the world opened back up. Right. So yeah. And, and 24% year over year was very nice. So, you know, they're still expected to do 2 billion, if not 2 billion plus this year, revenue wise, but in wow. the value, it, it's down to like a 1.1, 1.2 price to sales ratio. It's looking like a holy smoke. This ain't no jokers. You gotta be flipping my flapjack. Where's, where's my hot cowboy hat? <laughs> <laughs> Are you buying? I, I bought uh, today. I bought, uh, probably about twenty five thousand, maybe thirty thousand dollars worth. Yeah. yeah. What's and the I plan percent to in your portfolio? Uh, I don't know percent of portfolio, but I will say it's probably. Um, let's see, it might be my fourth biggest position now. You know, obviously oh, wow. Walgreens and, and Tattoo Chef are, the, are my top two, and then um, Planet's up there, and Corsair's right up there. And I'll, I'm planning on continuing to buy Corsair if it stays down. And those 2024 calls come out in September. Why? Why? Why would you buy calls in this market? I I know you're really excited about those, but well, I want to know why. Yeah, it, it, it's a stock by stock basis. So with a Corsair, it's so significantly undervalued. I mean, you're talking about a Ford P of 15 on a company that I expect to continue to grow in future years at a 1.1, 1.2 forward price to sales ratio. Um, you know, in, in the streaming space, gaming space, I, I just think that the pricing is getting ridiculous. And so when the when the what price if that's gets, over. You know, what, what if, what if uh, gaming's over? It's like, that's yeah. it. People are going back out. People bought their games, yeah. you know? And it, it's a yeah. risk I'm willing to take. It's always like risk reward. But whenever I feel like there's disgusting pricing on stocks, I have to take a deal. Years ago, I felt like Tesla was at a disgusting price. And instead of buying calls, I just bought the stock straight up. Huge mistake. I mean, you know, I should have been doing both. Well, I should have been I doing both. But if you bought calls in 2018, where it didn't really move between like, what is it? Or, or maybe 17 to 18, either 17 to 18 or 18 to 19, it didn't really move, right? And, and you had calls, like leaps for a year. You could have lost a ton of money just, just on yeah. those options decaying. That's why timing is perfect. Look, when I bought Tesla, <laughs> 2019, it's all about timing in the stock market. That's the thing people understand. It's, it's a timing <laughs> game, man. It but really is. I don't know if you're joking because no, Graham I mean, and Andre are not happy about that. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a timing game, 100%. Tesla in, in 2016, 2017 was not a good stock to buy. I can promise you that. 2019 Tesla was totally different. They had proven. They had ramped Model 3 already. They already had the demand for it. Everything was lining up, and it was at a 30 to $40 billion market cap. Everything lined up. And so that was the time to get in. It wasn't in 2015, 2016, 2017. They had too much to prove. 
It's timing. Timing right, is so what everybody learned in this podcast is not about time in the market. It's about timing the market. <laughs> <laughs> if you want the better games. You know what? Right. You know what's funny? One little thing we could end off on. Um, but I checked my monkey portfolio and oh. it's beating the S&P 500 by three and a half percent. Oh, yeah. And, well, that, was that? and that's with a monkey. Well, so that's, that's, your small, that's your small cap stock one, right? Yeah, that was just uh, 10, 10 random stocks. When, when, yeah. when? What do you mean when? Like when was that started? Oh, December 21st of last year, 2020. I'm surprised that video didn't do as well when you first it, released it. Yeah, I have an update video coming tomorrow. And uh, here's the thing. I, I told I told everyone in the video, if if that video gets 100,000 likes, I will recreate that experiment, but with a million dollars. I'll put a, I'll put a hundred, uh, sorry, I'll put $30,000, $33,000 each in 30 stocks. Time. Wow. I'm just going to recreate that video, but with an actual real monkey. I got a real monkey. <laughs> you did? Yeah. yeah. In that video? Yes. I thought I, I did what? I missed yeah. it. You, you obviously oh. didn't watch it, but yeah. I didn't no, get I to that part. Monkey. I didn't get to that part. <laughs> it, what do you think? It, it was like three minutes in the video. Dang, I didn't watch three minutes of it then. Wow! I went wrong with the video. If you didn't watch three minutes, I I messed up with with the format of that video. Obviously. Hey guys, so check this monkey. out. This is Bankroll Coffee, and it's really Ooh, delicious. Kevin, I swear. Wait, is that now for sale at BankrollCoffee.com? <gasps> oh my gosh, it is. And I was sitting here wondering how am I going to open the bag, but because the, like I couldn't figure out how to open it, it, and I'm like, I don't have a scissor. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like Apple. There's a pull tab on the back. Yes. Genius. Yes. And the best part is that it's resealable, meaning mm. you could make one cup of coffee if you want to, seal the bag, and keep the freshness. Nice. And even better than that, free shipping on orders over $30 at Bankroll Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway wrap it up <laughs> all right yeah all right guys so thank you so much for watching i really appreciate it as always make sure to subscribe before you leave just hit the subscribe button it's totally free to do also hit the like button uh hit the notification bell we only post once a week so make sure you, you don't miss a video we also got the clips channel down below in the description with some other goodies some other really cool links down there you may as well just Go and do that. Enjoy. Thank you guys so much for watching. And until next week. Peace. See ya. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.